0: Good morning, church. Um, My name is Brenda Reardon. I've been attending TCC since 2004. Uh, Scripture I'm going to be reading today is from Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. And I could just get you all to stand for the reading of God's word. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. I wish Marnie showed a little more passion and enthusiasm about the stuff that she does at TCC. It's going to be great. And we know that there are way more than 12 or 14 nations that are represented here. So even if you're the only one, we would love to have you. Um, We'll help you out in whatever way we can uh, to develop um, your little table and display as well. Well, are you familiar with the "He Gets Us" campaign? Does that ring a bell for anyone? Oh, where have you been? No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's essentially a Christian advertising campaign that was started in 2022, with the goal to reintroduce people to the Jesus of the Bible. Now, apparently, um, they've been showing commercials uh, predominantly, obviously, in the in the in America. So we may not be familiar with them because we maybe haven't seen some of them, (laughs) excuse me, Um, and if you watch the Super Bowl in Canada, you know that we always get ripped off and we don't get to see the best commercials, and apparently uh, the He Gets Us campaign spent, I think, about $14 million putting on a uh, 30-second commercial a couple of times throughout the Super Bowl. Now, of course, it's controversial then. I mean, what isn't these days, right? Those on the far right criticize it for, you know, not sharing the gospel uh, clearly enough. Those on the left criticize it for wasting money and they should have put it to better use, etc., etc. Have you ever noticed that we live in this age of outrage, that uh, everything, doesn't matter what you do or say, it just becomes polarizing, and, and you put yourself out there, you get attacked? One of the reasons I hardly do anything on, on social media, other than, uh, you know, see what everybody else is fighting about, is because of that. And it wasn't that long ago, actually, I was watching um, a Sportsnet uh, hockey broadcast, and they were going on and on, and I knew it was going to blow up on, on, uh, on Twitter because of Just kind of the the nature of how things were said. And so I got on, and I was kind of worked up about it myself. And so I put a tweet out there, and like within seconds, somebody jumped all over me for like my position on it. And I just went, "Ah, if I need any proof of not doing that, that is it. But everyone nowadays obviously has a platform to express their disagreement. Now personally, I think that we maybe need to chill a little, and not get so worked up over every little thing. And as I say that right now, Tina's thinking, uh, yeah, Norb, like when you're driving and merging onto the Hyundai and the car's going too slow in front of you or driving slow in the left lane, and you get, get all worked up about that. Maybe you should chill a little bit there too. But anyways, with respect to the he gets us, I mean, sure, they could have had a more explicitly gospel message. You know, he saves us might work. But the point was to get people talking about Jesus, and maybe in some unexpected ways. And I don't really think that that's all bad when we talk about Jesus. The fact is, Jesus does get us. And as we're going to see from our text this morning, that's a good thing. A really good thing. So we've been working our way through the book of Hebrews, if you just launched, or you're just here for the first time, or maybe you've been here since mid-January when we started, you'll know that Hebrews is actually all about Jesus. The author of the book of Hebrews is anonymous, he's likely a preacher, and um, the whole book then uh, basically is one long sermon, and there's one main point, point. and so we've been trying to drive this home, as we understand Jesus, is that Jesus is greater than. Jesus is greater than anything else, greater than the prophets, greater than the angels, greater than Moses. And because he is greater, we're then invited, encouraged, challenged to follow him. Last week, we were invited into a greater rest. In the words of the writer today, we are reminded that Jesus is the great high priest, which simply means that he is greater than any of the other priests uh, before or after. Now, before your eyes glaze over, let me unpack why that is so important. Because it's a truth that could absolutely transform your life today. We're only looking at three verses. But these three verses are actually quite crucial. They're, they're quite pivotal. pivotal. Um, they could be seen in some ways as a summary of the whole book. Of the whole sermon. This is it. If you're going to memorize any verses in Hebrews in this study, these three would be the verses to memorize. In one sense, their conclusion to the section that started at Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. There we read, and this was a message I preached just a couple weeks ago, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. There's that focus on Jesus whom we acknowledge as our Apostle and High Priest. And so that's where the writer was already introducing this idea that Jesus is the great High Priest. Or, not only could it be a conclusion to that, it could also be an introduction to the section that's going to end in chapter 10 and verse 25. And so we got a ways to go. But one of the challenges of Hebrews is that the writer uses a lot of Old Testament passages to illustrate his points we're moving now into a section that actually has a lot of Old Testament language. And sometimes when we are confronted with language that we're not all that familiar with, uh, it can throw us a little. And it might seem a little strange or even a little weird. And maybe you hear, you know, high priest, and you think of, you know, you imagine someone dressed in a long robe, maybe with some kind of headdress on, and, you know, you know, and a staff. You've got to have a staff, right, if you're a high priest. But if you think of a high priest simply from the perspective that a high priest is an advocate or a representative or a mediator, just as Jesus as a high priest then represents to us a mediator between us and God, that we have open access to God. And so here's the thing about our relationship with God. He gets us because he knows us. Jesus gets us because he knows us. If you look, I want to just go back one verse before the three that were read by Brenda and look at verse 13. Nothing in all creation, the writer writes, is hidden from God's sight. Think about that. No creature is hidden from God's sight, essentially. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Basically, what he's saying is, listen, there's, there's no secrets with God. Secrets don't exist. Because what, do do, what we do know about God is that God is, what, all-knowing? He's all-powerful. He's everywhere present. And we like that when we need him for something, but we maybe are a little uncomfortable when we think of that in terms of that we're laid bare before him. That he, there's nothing that you can say or do or think that is unknown to God. This is something that King David wrote about in Psalm 139 verses 7 through 10. And, and I think that there's a great rejoicing in knowing who God is. But maybe there's even a bit of lament because he realizes, uh, I can't hide. And he writes there, he says, where could I go from your spirit? And the answer, of course, is what? Nowhere. Where could I flee from your presence? Nowhere. And if I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And so he sees this God who is with him everywhere he goes and the hand will guide him and his right hand god's right hand will hold him fast and so where can i go where you aren't god nowhere so he knows us intimately There are no secrets that we can keep from God. We we may have been able to hide something our entire lives from another human being, but not from God. Someone once said, reputation is what men and women think of us. Character is what God knows about us. And here's the amazing thing. We are totally and fully known by Jesus. That we've never had a thought or a feeling or an attitude. we've never said a word. you've never done a deed. there's no website you've visited that hasn't been known. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. He sees everything we do, so we can't run from him, we can't hide from him. and then he says everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him. in other words, we are essentially naked before God. There are no excuses, justifications, or reasons. We're exposed, and the writer says, we must give an account. Is that a little unnerving this morning? But sit with that for a moment. Let the truth of who God is just settle on us a little bit. And I want to suggest to you that far from being scary and frightening, it should be a huge encouragement to us. He knows absolutely everything about us, right? There's no secrets, as I said, and even though he knows everything about us, he still loves us. Now, we might think we're so messed up, so broken, we've done such terrible things that Knowing this about God, we're tempted to try to run away from him because we're scared of a God that we must ultimately give an account to. But this is my hope and prayer for us this morning. That what we know about God, that this truth about Jesus, that it actually awakens us to his love. And instead of running from him, you run to him. And so Jesus gets us because he knows us. And he gets us because he is, in fact, the high priest. So I'm just going to circle back to what I mentioned earlier and unpack this a little bit. But verse 14 now begins, therefore, again, we're looking back. This is what, you know, he knows about us. And therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, You see, the high priest, of course, is an Old Testament reference. The high priest was the man that was responsible for taking the sins of Israel to God to ask for his forgiveness. The original Jewish readers uh, of this book would have completely known this and understood this. They didn't require any more explanation. They knew that the high priest was a man. He was appointed by God. Excuse me. That he was a man appointed by God who once a year would go into the Holy of Holies in the inner sanctum, sort of of the Jewish temple. And he was this mediator between God and the people of Israel. And so once a year, on what was known as the Day of Atonement, and Jewish people still celebrate this as Yom Kippur, he would follow a very elaborate ritual. If you need a little light reading this afternoon, just read Leviticus 16 and the incredible detail of the clothing and the activity and the steps that is taken so that the sins of the people would be forgiven, but it had to be done year over year over year. And he would first make an offering, and then he would sacrifice a bull, and he'd take some of the blood of the sacrificed bull, and he would take it into the Holy of Holies, and he would sprinkle it onto what was known as the mercy seat. And then at the front of the Ark of the Covenant. And then there would be a second sacrifice for the sins then of all the people. And this would be a goat or a ram. And again, blood was sprinkled. And once again, the Israelites could stand blameless before God for another year. But it's like it had an expiry date, and it had to be done again and again and again. But Jesus, Jesus is now the great high priest because of what he did on the cross. Jesus shed his own blood. That's the significance of the shedding of the blood. Because it represents death. It represents the the dying on the cross. This blood that covered our sin. And so we read in other parts of the Bible that Jesus, in Hebrews, in fact, was this perfect once and for all sacrifice for our sins. And so they make another word for Jesus, the Lamb of God. Why? Because he was this ultimate sacrifice. And now... This Jesus who came to be like us and with us, lived, died, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. That's what he says. He was a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. So back in chapter uh, 1, verse 3, we had already read, after he had provided purification for sins, how did he do that? He did that by dying for our sins, by shedding his blood. He then sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He sat down. We're going to see that phrase, sat down at the right hand, three more times in Hebrews. But what that basically means is that he sat down. His work was finished. He accomplished what he needed to do. He doesn't need to work or strive, and so neither do we. Because we are fully known. And we are fully loved. And we we have a great high priest who gets us, who knows us, who knows our weaknesses. If you're following along, look at verse 15 now. He says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sit. See, this is at first a negative way of saying that we, in fact, have a high priest who is able to empathize with our weaknesses. when we think of weaknesses, sometimes we might think of our physical limitations and things like that. But in this context, it basically means a propensity to sin, that we are weak when it comes to this issue of sin. And so now, remember, the writer has already made the point that Jesus was made like us. So we go back to chapter two and verse seventeen, where we read, "For this reason, he—that is, Jesus—had to be made like him, fully hu- like them. Sorry, fully human in every way, in order that we might become, that he might become a merciful." And faithful high priest, there it is again that reference, in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So that's what Jesus did for us. He made atonement. This is a great mystery, friends, right? In Jesus, we have somebody who was fully human and yet fully God. And because he was fully human, he, he experienced life like us. He knows what it is like to be exhausted. He knows what it feels like to be hungry. As a carpenter, I'm sure there was occasions where he got slivers and experienced the pain and the frustration of that. I'm sure there were times when he smashed his thumb with a hammer and he screamed because it hurt, because he felt it. He knew what it was like to get a blister, I'm sure, from all walking, and he faced human limitations. And because he was one of us, he does get us. He really does. In fact, the word that the writer uses, he says he is able to sympathize, to empathize, but not only does he know our weaknesses, he knows what it is like to be, he says, tempted in every way. Tempted in every way, just as we are. So just think about this for a moment. Jesus and his humanity absolutely felt the struggle and the reality of temptation. Matthew 4 1 through 11 is the account of his encounter with the devil and the temptations he faced. And he felt the full pressure of temptation. He gets us. He understands temptation. And temptation usually ends when we give in to it. And so it's important to know that temptation itself is not sin. But we sin when we give in to the temptation. But Jesus was different. Because he was human like us. He could have sinned, but because he was God, he did not sin. That little phrase right there, yet he did not sin, at the end of verse 15. And if you're looking for other references to the fact that we have one who knew no sin, I refer you to 2 Corinthians 5, 21 or 1 Peter 2.22. Tyler Staton in his book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, he writes about verse 15, and he unpacks this Greek word that is in fact translated empathize. And some translations use the word sympathize. And this is what he writes about it. I have a little longer quote. should all be on the screen there. <clears throat> this word translated literally, so this word empathize, means to co-suffer. That's how Jesus deals with our sin. He suffers with us. He suffers the consequences of our thoughts, actions, and disordered desires. He suffers the subtle agony of hiding and pretending and, and presenting a preferred self that traps us in perpetual insecurity. Suffers the estrangement from God we willfully suffers the estrangement from God we willfully choose by managing a sin pattern. Do you ever manage sin? We've grown tired of confessing rather than bringing into the light of his inexhaustible love. Now friends, this may be, you know, a little like up here or out there, but there's incredible truth in these words because what he's unpacking for is that Jesus, who is just like us, but as also fully God, he actually suffers with us. He sympathizes with us. He was tempted in every way that we are. So he knows us. He gets us. And when we sin, we will feel the full weight of it. We feel the shame and the guilt and the despair. And when we do what we hate, we feel this heaviness. And although Jesus never sinned, he knows what it is like to be tempted. Think about it. He's tempted in every way. All of the temptations, Jesus knows. So what do we do when we have this great high priest who knows us? Well, there's two responses right in our text. Number one, hold firmly. Hold firmly. Since we have this great high priest who gets us in verse 14, says, let us then hold firmly to the faith we profess. Other translations say, let us hold fast to our confession. And so what is our confession? That we can't make ourselves right before God. We can't fix ourselves. And so help us, Jesus. We come to him in prayer and we say, you know what? You know everything. Nothing is secret. Who's kidding who? I'm a mess. I'm broken. I need Jesus. That's our confession. We need Jesus. The words to Lord, I knew came to mind. And, and then this morning when I was just preparing for the service, and I looked further down uh, during communion, preparing for that, we're going to actually be singing this song. And so some of you probably know it quite well, but it just goes at least one of the verses, Lord. I need you. Oh, I need you. This is a prayer, friends. This is, this is what we'll pray later. Every hour I need you. Not just once a year, but every hour we need you. My one defense, Jesus. My righteousness, Jesus. Oh God, how I need you. That is a declaration of our Confession. And it's this confession, this profession of our faith in Jesus that we hold fast to. That we make a commitment to follow no matter what. We don't drift away. As tempting as that may be some days, we don't give up because of what Jesus has done for us. You see, when we came to believe in him, we then hold firmly to the end. We remain committed. And we've seen that same phrase even a couple weeks ago, we hold fast. Even when stuff wants to cause us to drift or pull away, we hold fast. The second response after a hold firmly is to approach boldly. Because here's the amazing thing, right? So I hope you're tracking with me, right? There's nothing that's secret before him, so he knows our stuff, he knows our garbage, and yet... We're exhorted, verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we might find mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, because of what Jesus did, because he is the great high priest who became that sacrifice for our sins, because he is seated next to the Father, he mediates for us, he advocates for us, and he makes a way for us to draw near to God. And we don't have to go timidly, we approach boldly. And the the tense of the verb that the writer uses is, is that it's an ongoing action. So we need to say, we constantly approach. Not just once a year, but we constantly approach. We draw near to God. We draw near to the throne of grace. It's quite an image, isn't it? Because when you think of a throne, what do you right away think of? You think of power, you think of authority. Think of rule, maybe think of judgment. But the writer says, no, it's a throne of grace. And we boldly run to it. And when we do, we find something there. We find mercy. And we find grace, he says, to help us in our time of need. Friends, we're invited to draw near to God all day long. It's what we do in worship, it's what we do in prayer. We draw near, we come to God, we boldly enter the very presence of God. You see, going back to the Holy of Holies, like that priest would go in, they'd have bells on the end of his robe. So the people outside could hear that if there was no bell movement, the priest died in God's presence. We don't have that, thankfully. Because when we come near to God, we confess our stuff, stuff that he already knows about. We've got nothing to hide, right? He sees it all. And we're not met by anger. We're not blown off or dismissed. We receive mercy. And we find grace. So it's true when you and I sin and we feel the weight of the guilt and the shame of sin, don't run from God. But we boldly and confidently run to God. Because He gets us. He sympathizes with us. He actually suffers with us because he himself was tempted. And so he knows. I mean, where do we go when we're tempted maybe to even give up walking this life out or to give in? Nobody knows the strength of temptation until you've actually tried to resist temptation. And where do we go when we need help? to overcome temptation. So friends, let me just ask you, as we prepare our hearts to come to the table this morning, do you confess your need for Jesus? Can you, with all sincerity, pray, Lord, I need you? And don't run from him. Run to him. We remember what Jesus has done. He says to you and me today, He says, I know. (laughs) I know all about it. But come anyway. And we're given these emblems, Jesus Himself institutes, so that we remember. And we remember so that we never forget. And We come with our brokenness and we receive His forgiveness and healing. And the scripture says that on the night that he was betrayed, the pain of that betrayal, he got it. He took bread and he broke it. It wasn't special bread, it was just bread. It wasn't probably even gluten-free bread. He took the cup full of grape juice. and He said, this symbolizes the blood that I shed. So does it seem a little weird? Maybe. But is it absolutely incredible? Yes, it is. Because this is the way that Jesus himself said, this is how you remember what I have done for you. This bread my broken body, this cup, my shed blood. Maybe this morning you come and you're not feeling worthy, then you need to know absolutely this table is for you. Because the invitation is to approach boldly, to receive mercy, to find grace. Maybe the greater danger is if we come and this has absolutely no meaning for us. I pray that this wouldn't just be an empty ritual that we do, you know, at least once a month. Because know this, friends, if you are in Jesus, if you belong to Jesus, you are forgiven. Past, present, future. Fully, completely forgiven. And So we should run to a gracious high priest like that. Not away from him. And the cross simply reminds us that all of us are in need of a Savior, that that we're all guilty. But if you are not a believer, I just want to say to you, we're glad that you're here. We really are. We welcome you. And you're most welcome to stay for a full hot brunch after. But this meal, Jesus instituted this specifically for those who call on his name, who understand the sacrifice that he made on their behalf. And so this is for the family of God, this great diverse community, community of people that God has called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so as we've been doing for a while now, we just invite you to come forward and each section has a table and just grab the elements and return back to your seat. Hold on to them. You can reflect and pray. Our hearts at this point should be overflowing with gratitude that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and forgives us our sins. He already knows. But we boldly come. Those of you who are sitting further back or even at the back at the tables, just find the line that's shortest when it eventually comes to you. And oftentimes that will be the side aisle. So just watch for that and move accordingly. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. We have some good songs to sing that I think will just really tie a bow on all of what we've been talking about this morning that simply we are fully known and fully loved and that we have this faithful high priest who invites us to boldly come, boldly come and find mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So I pray that we would encounter the wonderful, beautiful presence of Jesus In our midst this morning. Let's pray, Father. We thank you for your amazing love. Lord, while we may not want to think about it, when we do, we know that there are parts of us that are deeply broken, that there is darkness, and even though we may try to hide it at times, really only fooling ourselves but we thank you that you invite us to hold firm to what we profess the commitment that we made and so I pray father that even in this act of coming this morning we would be expressing a new commitment to you a renewed commitment says I want to walk my days in faith and obedience and love So, God, do a work in each of our hearts. And we come boldly. And so, we thank you that you've rescued us, that you've restored us, that you renew us. And I pray that even though these are just bread and juice, but that we would know that it's so much more than that, that they represent what you did for us, Jesus. And so we just say thanks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.